Welcome back to Common Happiness with Sonia Kencare. Today, we have a guest coming from Salt Lake City, Utah, Dr. John Pearson, who is an anesthesiologist and clinical informatics researcher and a friend of my family, which I'm grateful for. But let me give him an opportunity to tell us a little bit about himself. Thanks, Sonia. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really excited to be here today. So I'm John Pearson from Salt Lake City. Uh, currently, I originally grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, spent time in New York City as well. I'm an anesthesiologist, clinical informatics researcher at the University of Utah. I explore environmental influences and climate influences on surgical outcomes as my research, in addition to spending time in the operating room several days a week. And when I'm not at work, I love hiking and traveling. Uh, I'm addicted to my e-reader and bird watching, uh, as well as spending time at night uh, under the stars as an amateur astronomer. Oh my goodness. Amateur astronomer speaks to me. I love the stars. Do you have an area that has minimal light pollution so you can enjoy that? Oh, Utah is great for that. So in the city, yes, it's a bit of a struggle and you focus on objects that are really bright or easy, like the moon and planets. But in nearby, within about an hour, it's some of the darkest skies in the country. And so you can see the Milky Way pretty easily here. That's so fantastic. So, Johnny, would you describe yourself as happy? I would say so. I would say that I've, and it's been a long journey towards happiness for me, but I would say that I've been in a happy place uh, for quite a while now, uh, balancing career and hobbies and personal life. And uh, I would say that I am happy overall. That's fantastic. How do you define happiness for yourself? And do you feel like that definition has evolved over time? Yeah. So happiness for me, I really love the concept of Ikigai. This comes from Japan. And so this is that combination of balancing your passion, your skill, doing something you can get paid for uh, and sustain mm. yourself and what's in demand and what's needed by society. And right. so I think about that with my with my happiness. And that that speaks to me a lot because integrating my passion from early on, which was environmental work and sustainability with medicine has been a bit of a challenge over my career. And I think I've gotten the right balance with it in addition to doing stuff that's fun and not just working all the time. That is a really nice balance to achieve. Do you feel like Johnny from 10 or even 20 years ago would define happiness the same way? I definitely think 10 years ago would in the same way. 20 years ago, I, I would say so. I think I think in high school, I kind of figured out and, and thought about this stuff uh, and it evolved through college. Uh, but it did take breaking out a bit of some of the constraints and the challenges that I grew up with in order to figure these things out. That's fantastic. Tell me about your happiness. You touched on it a little bit, but what brings you joy on a day-to-day -day basis? It starts, I think, with... On a work day, it starts with just getting some exercise. Mm -hmm. And I really love biking to work. Um, sometimes I also bus to work, depending on depending on the day. And that's just a great way to wake up. It's just getting out there, getting a walk, getting outside. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm whenever I'm outside on a hike or in nature, and that's a way that I refresh and reconnect and reorient. And so that really helps with my happiness. And then when I'm and and of course spending time with my my pets and my Fish, my my fish tank and my family with my wife 
And so, you know, having that time that's at home and just re and and connecting there is a big deal for me. Uh, I also recently rediscovered my happiness or my passion around data science and just spending time on a on work that is meaningful and just I can get lost in. When I was an undergrad, I loved GIS, Geographic Information Systems, and could spend a ton of time just looking at maps and analyzing data or just thinking about it and kind of geeking out over it. And right. that's finally happened again now with my work after a long yeah. time of being in clinical world. And that's made me, that's made me feel like very satisfied with where my life has ended up. That's a really great place to be. What gave you your last belly laugh? So I really love uh, adult cartoons. Uh, Harley Quinn on HBO was really making me laugh out loud. Um, there was also, I've been reading a lot more books this year than before. Uh, okay. I picked up, I picked up e-readers and got back into reading through having them and picked up a various different types of them and gotten all into different types of e-ink. And it's made it a lot easier to just pick one up, pick a book out of my pocket rather than look at social media. Right. And that transition has made it for me. I've read over 30 books this year which is more books than I've read in the last like 10 years. That's incredible. And, what yeah, kind of e-readers do you like? So I have, I don't think I have it with me here, but uh, the books, B-O-O-X is a company that has a variety of e-readers. And I picked one up last winter, really loved the screen. I uh, liked it a lot better than the Kindle. And then I found some that fit in your pocket that are the size of phones. That's awesome. So I just carried that around. And then instead of being on Instagram or being on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it now, I was, and doom scrolling, right? I just right. went, oh, let me just finish this book. And then another thing that I did in terms of the approach is treated books like Netflix mm -hmm. and streaming. So I used to approach a book, say, oh, I need to finish this before I can start another. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, let me just read. I can just have like five or six going on at once and switch yeah. from channel to channel if I don't like one or I get stuck. And so that's made it, that's made it, uh, ha that's brought me great joy and happiness this year. And one of the, one of the books that's been really funny was Zazie and the Metro, which mm -hmm. is from this 1960s kind of absurdist humor book right. about this 11 year old girl who just wants to ride the Metro in Paris when she visits her transvestite uncle and the Paris Metro is on strike. And so she proceeds to go around town causing chaos with everyone. And it's a lot of fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. There are so many interesting stories like that that take place in France. Like I think of, I think it was Amelie and she was looking for the man whose picture was in all of the photo booths. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to spoil it. So spoiler alert, but it ends up being the guy who repairs the machine, right? So he like wants to make sure the machine's working and takes a photo of himself. Um, I used to love scrolling through different books when I was a kid too. And I miss having time for that, but books give me so much joy. What's, I guess that's a great story, but have you had any other stories you've read recently that you've really enjoyed? And also really, what was the title of that book? That was Zazie, Z-A-Z-I-E, in the Metro. Okay. Or Zazie Dom in the Metro or something like that in French. Yeah. My French is terrible. But uh, the other stuff, I've really loved some Salman Rushdie and okay. hadn't read any of his stuff before. And his right. latest Victory City was a lot, was really enjoyable, a lot of fun. Recently, I'm reading a few different books. I have to look at my Goodreads list. I've got a lot going on with them. And uh, and yeah, th those are the ones that like spring to mind right away. Okay. 
and some nonfiction too. There was a nonfiction book that I read about music in the natural world. Mm-hmm. And it was a great escape from like stuff I'm typically working on. Sure. And it was all about how it was this guy who was kind of in the founder of taking audio recordings of entire ecosystems and analyzing the animal orchestra. It's called the Great Animal Orchestra. Okay. And it was really incredible about how he's made these recordings over time since the 70s up to now and how different ecosystems have changed and how much music could get more inspiration from outside of the human sphere and bring these new sounds and, and ways of being into, into music. And so it was a really pretty cool book. That's fascinating. I mean, hearing you talk about that actually reminds me of a nonfiction book, or maybe it was a fiction book, but like kind of dystopian fiction from high school. Do you remember the book Silent Spring? Yes. Where a woman talks about there being so much damage to all the ecosystems that all of the animals that produce sound in our environment would be eliminated. I know that's quite dark, but (laughs) hearing that contrast is pretty cool because I feel like at this point, global warming is sort of undeniable and it is having an impact on our ecosystem. So I would be interested to see how that's affected the orchestra of sound too. Yeah. And he talks about that in the book. And so I would highly recommend it um as a book to to check out let me see if i can find it for you you can i can edit as a little spoiler what were some of his observations he did see that there was less and less and less and less areas in the world that um that had the same type of sounds as before and Mm -hmm. he had been at bernie krauss the great animal orchestra and he had he had been recording in different forests and ecosystems over time since the 70s sure. so he could he's part of that generation that's really seen areas retreat contract and that kind of there's a bit of a sadness there about right. that and what we're losing and then also some hope around areas that still are wild and that are still incredible and that you can still connect with and how every right. time he puts his microphone his head, headset on to listen it just like reconnects him brings him a lot of joy and yeah and and it's it's just pretty cool and then he he talks about a lot of about bringing that inspiration into making music which is really which is really a unique perspective i thought absolutely so what's the weirdest thing that's ever made you happy uh the weirdest thing recently that's come up that's made me happy has been halloween so on Halloween, I'm a, new, I'm a new homeowner here in Salt Lake and have had the chance really for trick-or-treaters. Hadn't had that chance before. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I get into Halloween pretty, pretty hardcore. She like showed me pics up. of the decorations of yes. the, the <laughs> driveway the and the front porch. And it looked really cool and elaborate. I was impressed. And that just kept growing and growing. And now I understand how things can just grow over time because you save all that stuff. Right. And then the next year you bring it and you iterate, right? And so I dress up as this kind of, she found this really creepy mask called the and called the Bone Collector. And we okay. made this outfit around it. And the mask has this just like freaky face that the jaw can move. Oh, and wow. so it's completely covered. So it's really freaky. And I got a whip with it as well. And then a smoke machine. And then so kids will come to. So one of the funny that's made me like just laugh out loud has been just scaring the neighborhood kids who come for trick or treating. 
And we, re- we reward them with full-size candy bars. Okay? Yes. Okay. That uh, is but, a nice reward. Yes, but the Vivint camera has caught all sorts of all sorts of kids. And, and it's funny to see the, the reactions. So there's like the seven to nine-year-old set, and they're just having a good time with Halloween, and they know there's candy. They yeah. might be a little scared, but they're putting on a brave face. Yeah. But this like three to five-year-old set, they they can they still have that ability to just get sucked into the world when they mm. come around when they come into this area and it's just some of them just like look scream and run and without so taking been, the candy yeah, and then they'll come back and get the candy with their parents and stuff yeah oh. <laughs> not, the reactions of just they're belly laugh worthy for sure oh that does sound fun I, I was really excited it was our first halloween as homeowners giving out candy as well and um it was snowing here in the suburbs of chicago so we had very low numbers but it was really sweet to see the kids and we did we did not get nearly as elaborate as you guys we had a couple of pumpkins on the porch but i loved your decor for halloween it was great well thank you what is one word you associate with happiness and why The one word I associate with happiness, it says nature and being outside and being connected to the natural world. Um, Ikigai, I also like a lot uh, as a concept, but just being out outside, going on hikes, looking out my window at the birds that are around and observing the natural world just brings me a lot of happiness and joy. That's fantastic. I've read a lot about how good it can be even for your blood pressure and for raising serotonin levels just to see green and just to be outside and absorb sunshine these simple things sometimes don't get the moment in the spotlight that they deserve Mm -hmm. for how restorative they can be johnny how has your perspective on happiness been shaped by difficulty this could be any type of rough time or difficult experience you've had yeah there's a quote that i like that talks about this goes it's an anonymous quote. It says, I didn't grow up having role models. I grew up having people I didn't want to be like and seeing situations I never want to be in. And not all of us have dealt the right cards, but that doesn't mean you can't reshuffle your deck for a better outcome. And That's so a nice that, one. Yeah. yeah. I really like that. And it took a while for me to, I see how people get stuck in generational trauma and things that can repeat themselves. Yes. Yes. Uh, my father was an absentee father. He was alcoholic. He was there, but not there. My mother was narcissistic. And that they fed into each other in this really terrible kind of way. Right. And and that was tough to to get pulled out of and mm-hmm. found some good friends in high school and hobbies and groups to be involved in. Right. That helped me realize that like I was worthwhile. It was before that definitely struggled academically and personally to connect. And always my guidance counselors were always like, he's much smarter on tests than he does in his grades. And mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until about halfway through high school that I started realizing that these things are in my hands, like my own happiness and my right. my ability to kind of get out of this. Is in, it's in my hand and I have the potential to do it. Mm-hmm. And that, and I took some other people believing in me to do that. And once I kind of broke away from that toxic environment, yeah. definitely found, especially in college, and I moved out when I was 18 and didn't, Unlike some of my generation, never snapped back into living at home, just kind of got out the door and stayed out right. and and found 
being away from that environment really helped me grow and find happiness and find things that I loved and and find that there's this big world out there that right. people get stuck and sometimes it's unavoidable and sometimes they have responsibilities and obligations to others. But mm-hmm. if you have that chance to get out of a toxic environment, just don't worry about it. Get out and don't look back. That's excellent advice. And that can be hard to do, but very worth it for sure. Oh, yeah. And one thing that you mentioned that just kind of was very fluid within what you said, but actually a really important thought to me was that you entered a situation where you were able to establish your self-worth. Because I think one of the most challenging things about being in a toxic environment is that you can internalize it and then feel badly about yourself, not Mm -hmm. realizing that you can have the potential to extract yourself from this toxic environment and actually have a really wonderful existence, very separate from whatever toxic variables you were starting out in or in at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's hard. And that stays with you too, right? So it just, you may find it, you might find some more of your self-worth, but then you're kind of in this cycle where you're trying to reaffirm you it. Go back, reaffirm it. Yeah, it needs reaffirming because it's frail, you know? And so yeah. over time it needs to build. Absolutely. That's so awesome. I have deep respect for you for that. I actually find it very relatable on a personal level. This podcast is about other people, not about me. So <laughs> I don't have to talk about that, I guess. What is your personal philosophy on happiness? I think I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I did love this idea of ikigai. And I love this idea of this balance of finding, finding things that are, so when I think about environmental work and growing up wanting to work in sustainability and environmental fields before medical school, I actually thought about going into environmental law. Mm-hmm. and wanting to make a difference in the world and contribute to society mm-hmm. you see you see like like you talked about me with the animal orchestra stuff just natural world being under attack but it's just it's our home right right and you know, we talk about climate change and a lot of the hopelessness uh, that people feel around that right and getting involved with these things brings me a sense of hope and brings me a sense of of purpose Right. And so it's like getting involved in things that are bigger than, than yourself. Yes. There's habits you can, that when I think about happiness, habits to keep going that keep you on the marathon of life. Right. And right. so finding those like moments of solace with music or with books or with nature, but ultimately working on things that drive purpose and feel that you're contributing to something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And finding those, and, and when there was a line with your professional work, which was difficult to do in medicine. Because mm-hmm. medicine is it, the, for some people, I think the clinical work and the clinical world, for many doctors, I would say, physicians, drives their happy, gives them a lot of satisfaction and a lot of, a lot of um, career, ha- like personal worth and, and satisfaction. And for me, anesthesiology does in some ways. And I, it's kind of been like this appreciation of my field over time and the better you get and the more you do it you appreciate what your role is in in helping people heal but without that connection to the initial stuff that drove my passion the environmental work it was definitely not as satisfying and so the toughest time for me I had time in medical school to work on various types of research projects and that really balanced out the work that I was doing and and they were very exploratory around environmental health. 
Sure. But then residency was tough because there was no time to work on that. Mm-hmm. It was just clinical. And plus you're working like 60, 70, 80, 90 hours. Yeah. And it's just that, and it's, and it can be tough, especially in the Northeast. And then you get it. I got a research rotation and they gave me like four days to work on stuff instead of a month. And so they're like, what can you produce in four days? It's like, come on, it's research. Like, right. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> and so it was kind of a hostile environment. And it was funny to, to, to get shafted on my research rotation. And, and there was yeah. sometimes in medical school and, and during my journey through medicine that people didn't understand what I was trying to do with environmental work mm-hmm. and sustainability and integrating that into medicine. And uh, it's funny to have gotten into fellowship at Harvard and kind of get the validation that I was working on the right, <laughs> in the right track. Absolutely. You know, um, especially my, my first medical school interview was with at UMass. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this guy's there anymore. His name was Dr. Green. And he was a psychiatrist and looked at my resume. And at that time, my resume was full of um, working on geography-oriented work, working on uh, environmental restoration projects, mm-hmm. uh, working on, I founded the Sustainability Club in college, at my college at UMass Boston. And he looked at all that and basically spent half the entire interview just tearing into all environmental stuff from like the right-wing conspiracy point of view. That's interesting. And I don't know if he was doing it to challenge me or appropriate, but he wasn't really giving me any time to answer okay. questions. So I don't know if it just triggered him and he had this whole rant, Mm -hmm. but that was like my first experience with medical institutions, I would say, from the inside. Super pleasant. Yeah. Super pleasant. Uh, And then to finish off, I, to finish off my career at kind of like one of the top institutions, Mm -hmm. being encouraged to work on geographic health work, being encouraged to work on environmental health oriented work, uh, right. using my skills and my background in anesthesiology and, and perioperative medicine, you know, it was really, it definitely made the journey worth it and definitely was very validating Yeah, and kind of look back at things and say, you know, for people out there listening, you're going to face rejection and there's going to be people who don't get it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. Like not everybody has to understand what you're after in terms of you finding your happiness or your career goals or where you see your vision like seek out the people that get it and yes. get out and get help from them. And don't worry about convincing everybody else out there. And the same thing with climate change. I've read this book this year that was by Catherine Hayhoe. And so she's a climate scientist and a Christian evangelical and is in Texas at, in Lubbock and talks about both sides of the issue and, and, and about having conversations across the spectrum and how to reach people and have these conversations. But one thing she points to is this Yale study around the types of people in climate change and how there's just a group of people and they're only like 7% of the population that are absolute deniers. And they absolutely don't think this is real. And actually the majority of people want to take strong action on climate change. There's this big perception that it's only like, that we're evenly divided and it's a partisan issue. It's actually not true. It's like 70 to 80% of people want to take, want to do real action on climate change. And so she says, you know, just don't worry about those deniers. They take up this inordinate amount of your time. You can argue with them and try and convince them. You're never going to convince them. I like the quote of, you know, don't wrestle a pig because you're only going to get dirty and the pig likes it. Yeah. Right. It's just not worth it. Like you're not going to get things done. So when I, when I give talks on climate uh, at various anesthesiology conferences 
and we um, we have when I have talks to, to audiences and I do like a poll to see where people are on the topic. And usually right. it's nine ten. It's usually like ninety percent of people want to do something in these academic environments. As I was just going like, to say you may not yeah. have a sample sample a sample population that's the average person. Yeah, yeah. Well, although there's been a lot of studies with that, and it's definitely in the seventy percent range. Mm-hmm. and which is more than you need that's two over two-thirds of the population right but, uh so in the academic audience it's always like this 10 percent that are the you know kind of deniers or don't sure. want to don't want to have this discussion and stuff and i say you know i'm not here to talk to you i'm here to talk to the 90 percent yeah i'm not going to spend time trying to convince you of global climate change and all yeah. the evidence etc i'm here to talk to that 90 percent to give them the tools they need to do something about it in their practice and and bring something to take home that they can make a difference that's awesome. Is there anything that can compromise your happiness and how do you counteract that? Setbacks, rejection uh, from things you're applying to. Sure. Um, I would say things that don't go well with work or even sometimes struggles, you know, personally uh, at home. Sure. You you find how do you overcome it? It's I always like at, for professional work, I always think of what's the end goal? What am I trying to do here? Mm-hmm. And Carl Sagan, I read that one of his books this year, the science is a candle in the dark. And it was all about how science is this way to discover truth. Mm-hmm. And it's the best method we have to discover the true reality of the nature of the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. I go back to that when I was having some problems with our my current research and we weren't discovering a connection where we thought there was a connection with air pollution and some perioperative outcomes and trying to understand that and it's like you know sometimes you have to let the pieces fall where they may and just realize there's a process here and if you do the process right then you're pointing towards what the actual truth is and you have to kind of step back with that when it comes to science and and some of the setbacks that you could have and you you approach it with this preconceived notion of what you think you're going to find and sometimes it's it's just it's not that's not what's the truth and you have to kind of step back and say okay if that's not there then we did everything correct now let's try something else um and so i i really loved his his book brought me a lot of even that reinvigorated my background my backbone love of science and my understanding i think there's like some 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 Hindu teaching too. Uh, Punita, like I've learned from like reading myths and temples around um, not being attached or like the these concepts of like non-attachment, right? right? And you're and you're, it's a major you, concept of the Bhagavad Gita, actually. Don't yeah. be attached to the outcome. It's like a major battle, and Arjun is going into this battle as like a singular player on the side of good, fighting huge armies of people who he's trained with as a warrior, where there are numerous people on the other side, and they're um, trained as well as him, and they are his friends. Like, they are the people Mm -hmm. he grew up with, but they are, like, on the side of the wrong in this battle, and God tells him, like, you have to go and do this. Even if it's you by yourself, you have to be brave and take this on and not be attached to what you think is going to happen. And somehow, of course, Arjun, I believe, comes out of this victorious. If I'm wrong, that's very yeah, yeah. embarrassing, but I'm pretty sure Arjun wins that battle. And 
the whole idea was don't think about the outcome. Do your most honest effort of what you think is the right way to do this. Yeah. And it's like this scientific concept. It's right. You do the methods properly. You do your proper methodology and you make sure that you're applying the right principles and doing things correct. And then the outcome is the outcome. Like you right. can't be attached to the out. You can't try and bias the outcome. If the more you try and push the outcome towards what you want or what you think it mm -hmm. should be, the more you bias your work and compromise your methods and the way that you do it. And so that's, Give me some solace when things haven't worked out. <laughs> How do you rebuild joy when you feel down? I think it goes back to you have to have a variety of things. You have to discover a variety of things that bring you joy. And so you can, for me, so I can flip to that channel and remember there's something I love and there's something else out there and all these different universes that we all have, right? So- right. If I'm struggling at work or I have a bad day uh, in the OR, some tough case or something, or I come home and maybe I go for a longer bike ride because I love seeing the world on two wheels and there's a nice canyon behind my house. So, okay, today, instead of just shooting right home in 10 minutes, I'm going to do the one hour bike ride and right. kind of decompress um, or spend the night under the stars and just be like, you know what? All that's going on. There's a lot of drama with X, Y, Z. Just take some pictures of a nebula that's light years away and think about these photons and how they were going along this path for trillions of years while I was worried about all this stuff in my life and, or sorry, trillions of miles. And my camera sensor is what stopped it. <laughs> they came to an end at the camera sensor that I have. And, you know, that just kind of takes you away from some of the daily troubles and, and other stuff and just you rediscover the joy and what you love about these things i love that being able to take the step back and the deep breath and make the conscious choice to do the one hour bike ride i feel like is the first step because it can be hard when you feel like you're in a grind and the number of things in your to-do list exceeds what any human could accomplish in a reasonable amount of time mm -hmm. yeah 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 I've definitely been there and that makes it hard to like get to the gym or get to the things you love or, or yes. it was especially like during residency right it was just so okay. hard to just get away from all that um, totally or during the first year of being a new parent it's also a whirlwind mm -hmm. where there's so many things and you're caring not only for yourself but for someone else i guess residents yeah. is like that too except it's a lot of someone else's yeah it's it's a responsibility right so there's yeah. this it's tough to rejuvenate or to make sure that you're taking care of yourself when you have right. all the, the responsibilities for someone else 100 oh on the note as well of you mentioning your appreciation for your own career as somebody who had a c-section i have a lot of appreciation for anesthesiologists i was awake for it and that would have been a really difficult experience without my anesthesiologist so thank you everywhere anesthesiologist. yes <laughs> Do you have any advice for listeners at home who are trying to cultivate happiness? Yeah. So find some way to contribute to something that's larger than yourself. Find something you want to get involved with, a community or cause. And even if you don't have a lot of time for it, mm -hmm. try to connect with people in that space and people who are building something and doing something, especially around climate change. I think there's a lot of people getting despair 
around mm -hmm. the future and what that holds and thinking about what their kids are going to grow up in, what's the future going to look like. Right. And if you're part of the people that are trying to do something about it, you find there's a lot of hope out there. There's a lot mm -hmm. we can do. Right. And there's a lot of positive change happening. And so it can help to just step away from the news sometimes and find community. Totally. I love that advice. And I also love that you threw in climate change because that's one of the most specific recommendations I've heard about uh, cultivating happiness. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us? I would say that finding opportunities in life and maintaining that sense of purpose, even through life's ups and downs, that can really mm -hmm. be really helpful to keep your, not, not an end goal, but just a feeling of why you're here and what you want to do in life. And right. Keeping that in mind, even when things are going on, I think yeah. can be a real way to kind of ride the waves of, of the life's ups and downs. I love that. Johnny, thank you so much for making time to be on my podcast today. Thanks you, Sonia, so much for having me on. I wish all your viewers as much happiness as life will give them. Thank you for conversing on Common Happiness with Sonia Kencare. And if you like this episode, please subscribe.